Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Okay, welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. How's everyone doing? I'm a little exhausted from my bi-coastal trip, but we're here, we're back, we're home, and ready for another Epi. Ready for it. And speaking of that trip, thank you to all of our amazing guests this past Saturday. Our event at Y7 was a success, and the weather was disgusting. Disgusting. Like, genuinely, like... I mean, honestly, it was kind of cute to me, like, looking out the window and seeing, like, the snow... But the minute you step outside, it's like an immediate now. But the, yeah, the fact that everyone got out of their house that day was an absolute miracle. Because let me just have like a complete moment. And that complete isn't even the snow. Like we know I'm not a snow girl, but it was the hail. Like you walked one block, it would be a hail storm. The next, it was a snowstorm. Anyways, yep. anyways, weather aside, the event was a success. So thank you so much for all of you people that came out we're gonna be putting some pictures up on the gram so stay tuned and hopefully we'll be rocking and rolling with some other events soon so everyone stay tuned honestly go to girlonthegov.com and add your email to our email list because when we do events we do send out tickets like where to buy etc information via email we're not like huge email newsletter people like we read a lot of them but we don't send a lot of them so just know when you sign up and you're like hmm it's so weird like am I supposed to be getting something every week like no like we're not we're not spamming the inbox we're keeping it limited keeping it event centric occasionally a little merch email you know but nothing too crazy yeah we're not one of those we're not gonna send you a thousand emails where you have to hit the unsubscribe button because we both aren't fans of that. I'm just constantly no. like unsubscribing to emails. I'm like, and then I feel like they still pop up in my inbox. And I'm like, excuse you. <laughs> it's honestly, I like lost the battle on the email marketing thing a while ago. Because the thing mm-hmm. that drives me bananas is text marketing. Mm. Like I literally, I was going through my text yesterday. I don't even remember what I was looking for. And I literally got to like, you know, like there's a whole chunk of my screen like this every single one of them it was like a text from a brand i was like this is insane like why do i have 10 texts in a row from a brand it just I, unnecessary. yeah there's something about the texting that just like crosses the line yeah <laughs> like, i agree with please, that like honestly emails are for flooding with promotions and random brands and anything you've ever bought in the past like it's to be found in your email i get it <laughs> cross the line to text message promotions it just that's when it gets personal you know exactly i'm like oh what's the sneaky link is it revolve <laughs> <laughs> it's revolve asking me 
to go to the Revolve Festival because if not, I don't want it. I don't, don't want, want it. it. Absolutely not. Like, see you later. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, yes, very successful trip and event. It was a cute little intimate moment. Talk about the midterms and do some hot yoga, which was also just like such a cute little vibe to like, I feel like it was such a bonding moment, you know, to like such head a into that moment, yoga sure. studio and do that all together. So it was very fun. And if you are looking for a Girl on the Gov event in your area, please let us know. Shoot us an email at info at girlonthegov.com. We would love to hear about a potential event in your city. So there we go. Um, there is just like a quick piece of news that we wanted to address <laughs> because it's pretty outlandish and out of pocket and samantha made a beautiful tiktok about it and that is a place where you can launch all of your questions about it because we actually will be covering this insane person and story in a upcoming episode so if you do have questions about this man or anything about this story head to tiktok and and put your questions in there but let's get into it yeah let's get into it okay look this dude is a little bit notorious and not notorious as in the big this is a guy that's notorious for saying bad shit doing bad shit his name is madison cawthorn he is a republican from north carolina surprise surprise in this particular instance of chaos and shaking my head he said that Zelensky is a thug and the ukrainian government is incredibly evil So first things first, where do you get off? Like, are you kidding? Like, I just can't. Let me throw myself out a window reacting to this. However, besides that I won't be doing that because it's just not not a good life decision, I do think what's important here is that we have an episode coming up, which obviously we have a TikTok on this, but for more detail, with Jasmine Beach Ferreira, she is running against him for Congress. She is a Democrat, lives in Asheville, She's a Christian minister. There are just some very interesting, fun facts to learn. And of course, her campaign is going to be one that we're not only looking at, but we will be getting into the weeds with. So she will be coming on in the coming weeks. So if you have any questions about Madison Cawthorn's competition, Mm. send them our way, throw them in the DMs, all that good stuff. That said, I don't want us to like get into the episode without a little bit of like tea. A little bit of a conspiracy theory, which we love to just touch on here and there, you know? Sometimes they're just too good. You know, girls, women love to gossip. We can't help it. You know, we like to tussle. We like to gossip, you know? (laughs) It's just a thing. But in this particular theory moment, Madison Conhorn's soon-to-be ex-wife, well, there's a whole conspiracy theory that she was a part of a Russian plot. This conspiracy theory is that Cawthorn was a part of a Russian honeypot operation, aka his soon-to-be ex-wife was, like, essentially trying to, like, sweeten him up to try and become, like... What is a honeypot? Like, a it's kind um, of like, Russian wife situation? It's not even so much, like, specific to, like, Russian. It's, like, you use, like, bait, like, the promise of, like, a hottie, a baddie, whatever, oh. to, like, get them to, like do something or end up in the long run like convincing them to be like a part of an operation so like in this like the conspiracy theory is that because they like met in russia like Mm -hmm. this woman was like trying to have like the long game of influencing him and making him either like into a russian agent or at least like be you know the ear and then therefore mouthpiece for 
particular Russian interest. Just very heinous yeah. things, but variations on that theme. But it can apply to, like, any scenario, whatever. Yeah, and now these comments are giving, like, Russia has tea on you, Madison Cawthorn, and why are you now attacking the Ukrainian government? It's just interesting, something to think about. But I would love to know what screenshots and what receipts Russia has on Madison Cawthorn. It'd just be interesting. I know. If anyone has them, wants to, you know, do an exclusive release story with us, you know where to find yeah. us. You know where to find us. And send- girlonthegov.com. <laughs> Here we go. But yes, we love a little gossipy conspiracy theorist moment. But again, we will be covering um, a little bit of Madison Cawthorn on an upcoming episode with his rival, not rival, competitor. competition, competitor. And yeah, if you do have questions about that or that district or that race at all, definitely go on TikTok and, and ask all your questions. There's already some really good ones on there. So thanks for all y'all who did ask ask the questions. And then also another shout out to questions in general. If you guys have any political questions for us, you can always DM us. You can comment on TikToks or you can email us at info at girlonthegov.com. If there's a topic you want to see covered or any other political questions you have, then shoot them our way and we'll do our best to get to them on upcoming episodes, be it with an expert or top stories or whatever. So there's that, but there's also some other housekeeping moments we need to cover, which is Wink is a wine subscription service for our 21 Plus Club, and they are offering four bottles of wine for $29.95 that are delivered right to your door, which is an absolute deal and an absolute steal, and you guys should take advantage of that. So you can go to the Wink in our episode description and go sign up and get your four bottles of wine for $29.95. What are you possibly waiting for? And then just other moments that we always shout out if you are looking for an internship for this summer and you can get college credit for it. Honestly, might as well start shouting out fall internships as well. If you Mm. guys are looking for a fall internship and can get the class credit for that, then you can go to girlonthegup.com slash careers and learn about our internship, which is research, PR, marketing, social media, a lot of different things, a lot of different hats. You'll learn a lot. So Go check it out and email us your info. And then if you're not looking for an internship or you just want to be a part of the Girl in the Gap community even further, then you can join our brand ambassador program. There are zero requirements and resume boosters, social media moments, VIP exclusives, networking opportunities, and more. So definitely go check that out as well. It's at girlinthegup.com and you can sign up and learn about it there. But... That's it. We have another amazing interview and another amazing guest coming at you hot. So let's let's get into that. Let's do that. Sorry. I'm like trying to like deal with another nail scenario. It's just oh, never no. ending with me. Go also back to our TikTok to go see the absolute atrocity that was Sam's nails last week while I was in New York. We had a nail emergency and it was like nothing I've so ever seen bad. before. <laughs> Someone DM'd and said it looks like the honey mustard sauce from Chick-fil-A. So if you're curious of what the context of that could be, go to TikTok and check it out for yourself. It's a good, it's a good, funny, laughable moment for your afternoon. Fact. Okay. Well, after you're done like looking at that and being like, dear God, these girls need help. <laughs> Obviously, it's you. 
Oh, I'm bringing you into this. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have like spray tan like wrists, like marks on my hands. That's my always my my little moment. Between the two I, of us, we're doing great. We're doing great. All right, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is going to focus on anti-Semitism. For this topic, we brought in the big leagues. And when I mean the big leagues, I mean the Anti-Defamation League. You may know them as the ADL. That might ring a bell or two. Nonetheless, we will be going through their organization, what they do, how they operate, all of that jazz. And that is thanks to Carly Pildes, who is the Director of Community Engagement for the ADL, we are so excited about this conversation, this interview. So let's not waste any more time chit-chatting. You know what I mean? So without further ado, here's Carly. Well, we are super excited to be chatting with you today. This is, you know, I feel like I say this often, but this is the first episode that we are sort of diving into this larger topic of anti-Semitism and hate and whatnot within that field. And we know you are the perfect person to talk about this issue with because you work at the ADL. So for those that don't know, and you are the director of community engagement, just for everyone that's listening, what is the ADL? What does it do? What's the mission? So the ADL stands for the Anti-Defamation League. We've been around since 1913, and our mission is to stop the defamation of the Jewish people and to secure justice and fair treatment for all. The ADL really was born out of violence against the Jewish community and violence against Black Americans at a time when communities were beginning to come together and address lynching-related violence. And that mission has grown and expanded since 1913. We do a ton of different types of work, anti-bias education, education in schools in particular. We work with law enforcement. We work with hate crimes victims. We work on public policy, pushing for a variety of legislative things aimed at that justice and fair treatment for all mission. So in any given Congress, that could be the Equality Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and then some of our priorities right now on the anti-Semitism side, the confirmation of Deborah Lipstadt as the U.S. Global Anti-Semitism Envoy, nonprofit security grants, which will help to keep synagogues and Jewish schools safe, as violence has been rising against the Jewish community, unfortunately, over the past decade and remains at historic highs. So really across a couple different sectors, advocacy, education, anti-bias, direct support for hate crimes victims, fighting against hate. That is our overall mission. Wow. And back to kind of like your title, you're the director of community engagement. Can you kind of give everybody like what that Mm -hmm. job entails and what that day to day really looks like? Yeah, so, you know, I always joke that there are two types of people in Washington, the so-called like real people (laughs) and the so-called policy makers, right? So I work with volunteers, our incredible volunteer network. I work with our lay leadership and I work with them to make sure that they get everything they need to be empowered and make sure their voices are heard on the issues they care about, particularly in fighting hate on the federal level and the state level. So that could be running a lobby day, helping someone get a letter to the editor published, and really pushing to make sure that their voices are heard as Americans, as advocates, as people who care about fighting hate. Which is like also just so amazing to like hear about all the different sides of it. 
as well as the background, the backstory. How did you get into this role? How do you get into politics in general? Is there a story of, you know, how you're like, you know what, this is this is the route I'm going. Yeah, so I have been in Washington for about 15 years now. I'm dating myself a little bit. <laughs> but I came here on a very different lens. I was, you know, in the global health world for a long time with a lot of sort of global foreign policy focus, global justice focus. And then, you know, like a lot of people as hatred, violence and extremism began to rise in my own country, I felt a real yearning to focus more just on my own neighborhood, the issues my own community is facing. Again, like a catastrophically high rise in hate crimes, rising anti-Semitism across the globe and seeing that happen in tandem with other traditionally marginalized and vulnerable communities across America. So I really, for me, it was just time to reframe and focus a little bit on what was happening at home. In terms of like how I got into this work more broadly, I started in art school. I really thought I'd be in the performing arts for my whole career and then spent time volunteering abroad uh, in, in Ghana, a small country in West Africa, and really decided that I wanted to devote my life to making a more equitable and just world. I love that. And do you have any advice for people like to get into this kind of work? Yes, I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, <laughs> I, think, I think the first thing is like, just start doing advocacy and activism, particularly with organizations that are trusted and reputable and known for getting things done. One of the reasons I really wanted to work for ADL is I knew they were a part of the coalition that worked to pass the original Matthew Shepard James Beer Hate Crimes Act, which was just such a game changer in terms of keeping Americans safe and keeping people from marginalized and vulnerable communities safe. So like knowing that they can get done in a broad coalition work like that made me want to come here. And, you know, I think it's about, first of all, like where you can have an impact, partnering with those organizations like ours and saying, you know, I'd love to come lobby. I want to volunteer. I want to get involved. What are the opportunities for me? And then start engaging, start writing letters to the editor, start meeting with your member of Congress, start calling their staff, start getting to know who the aides that work on the issues you care about are. And I have friends who, you know, volunteered and were volunteer advocates and got offered jobs like in lobby meetings. I have at least three different friends that happened to. They were in Washington lobbying and their member of Congress said, you've lobbied me three or four times. You're fairly good at it. You ever think about coming to work for this office? Yeah. I have a friend that ended up uh, working for Kate Granger that way. I have a friend that ended up working on the Energy and Commerce Committee that way. And just building that muscle and building those connections any good organization, in my opinion, likes to hire from its volunteer base and likes to build that up into professionals yeah. and really see that grow. I think a lot of people have the misnomer that's like, if I want to be an advocacy, I need to like go to law school or become an economist or become yeah. a doctor. That's what my father thought was going to happen. He's like disappointed <laughs> um, when he realized that was not the vibe. Don't worry. Now he's very proud. He's the world. Are you going to be? Economist, lawyer, or doctor? Those are the things. No. Please don't jump into a very expensive degree right away. Mm -hmm. I think it really starts with volunteering. Volunteer on local political campaigns and get to know the people. You'll be surprised the amount of influence you can get very quickly. Yeah. I find working on campaigns, regardless of your 
politics or where you are and we are of course totally nonpartisan at the adl but it's a really fun experience to work on a political campaign so start volunteering start advocating start writing uh local papers love to hear what people have to say start building relationships with your local media and just like get out there partner with organizations that share your values and you'd be surprised how far it can take you i love this yeah and i really love like the strategy of picking professionals from your volunteer base like that does make a lot of sense because those are going to be the people that are most passionate about that particular issue and the organization like if you're taking extra time you're not even at a point of getting paid for it and you're doing it like of course those are going to be the people that are really going to be gung-ho and really go the extra mile for that org so I think too if anyone listening is also like starting a business or anything like that it's just like a really good thing to think of as a strategy on that front but one thing that you did say that I had a question about was the coalitions I think that's so smart of you know looking at like okay what coalitions between organizations have like gotten stuff done and you know what they've gotten done all of that but how do you look for that type of information like I if there are a particular issue and I was like oh I want to see if this was pushed by um, a coalition of different organizations or whatnot, like how would I even sort of research that information? Yeah, so there's a couple ways that you could find that out. First of all, ADL is really blessed up like incredible partners. Secondly, a lot of times people form sort of bear coalitions, like we're in one called Stop Hate for Profit, which is all about social media reform and you know people over profits and, and really pushing for reform to make a safer internet and safer social media spaces. So start looking for those banner campaigns. Look at bills, like specific pieces of policy you care about and who's endorsed them. And you can start figuring it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay, so it's a little puzzle piece moment. We love a puzzle. So, (laughs) (laughs) which is like really inspiring me for like what I'm definitely gonna do this Sunday, like take a cozy day and like do a puzzle. So MLS (laughs) may even involve some coalitions, but to look, at the ADL in 2022, where we're at now, I can't believe I'm saying the 2022, I'll never get over that. What yeah. are some of the big focuses that you guys are you know, looking to make change in this year? Yeah, I think there's a couple of big things. There's the anti-Semitism side. Yeah, we have just seen a dramatic rise in anti-Semitic incidents in the US and globally, again, at historic highs. And we're seeing it, you know, in the hate crimes victims we're seeing. We saw it in Colleyville, Texas, a couple of weeks ago, when a man took a synagogue hostage because he had the belief, the deranged anti-Semitic hateful belief that if he took any synagogue hostage, that he could get a political prisoner free. And if you start unpack the anti-Semitism, they're like the idea that like any rabbi in any synagogue at any moment has like a direct line to release a terrorist is you know, rooted in really toxic, hateful ideas about Jews and our access to power. So we're seeing things like that. We're seeing incidents, you know, in Brooklyn, in LA. So really tracking those incidents of anti-Semitism, looking for solutions. That's one of the things we're really focused on the Nonprofit Security Act, which is really focused on making sure there's federal grant money to help keep these institutions safe, whether that's you know, I want a training. The synagogue in Colleyville had a training by the ADL. Whether that's I need physical security, cybersecurity, etc. Just you know, that's an avenue. A lot of these places can't necessarily afford a huge security fund, so helping people access that with federal grants. Uh, other things. Deborah Lipstadt is a probably the most preeminent Holocaust 
historian in the world. There's a movie about her called Denial, about her suing Holocaust deniers and winning. Uh, it won an Oscar. So wow. if you want to do this weekend. So <laughs> yeah. her confirmation has been stalled in the Senate and we're working to push to get her confirmed. She really is the person who would be really quarterbacking global policy on anti-Semitism. There's a couple other pieces of legislation, something called the Pray Safe Act, which is really focused on Fortunately, houses of worship have become really popular targets for extremists over the past decade or so. So again, like helping those houses of worships across the U.S. learn about how to protect themselves and steps they can take. Other things, you know, the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. So anti-Semitism, rising extremism, those are really our two core things we're working on right now, especially, you know, coming out of January 6th. Yeah. Well, running it back to to kind of break some of these, you know, terms that we've already talked about down, we'll, we want to start with our I have a stupid question segment and break down some of the stuff and the work that you guys do specifically. And mm-hmm. you mentioned anti-Semitism a few times. So can we kind of get like the definition and the run through of like really what that means? And yeah. So anti-Semitism is the belief or behavior hostile towards Jews because they're Jewish. They can take a lot of different forms sort of religious teachings proclaiming inferiority or political efforts to isolate, oppress, or otherwise injure people. And I think it's important to note that I think a lot of people sort of see Jews as purely a religious group, which could then hypothetically not be oppressed if they chose not to engage in religious practices. That's really a misnomer. Most Jews see themselves as more than solely a faith, but, you know, Martin Buber put it really beautifully that Judaism, the faith, is the evolving faith of the civilization of Jews. So it is a distinct ethnic group. And within that and within the history uh, across the world, there really are very specific tropes and ideas. And what's fascinating is you'll see them across political spectrums. Jews have too much access to power. Jews have too much, you know... Jews control the world in sort of a secret cabal that's manipulating things. And Jews have too much access to money. Jews control the banks. Jews control the world. So it really functions as a conspiracy theory Mm. with Jews, this vulnerable group, as a scapegoat. And really, you know, we're talking about something that across the political spectrum... You can look at it and see like, wow, the stereotypes are remarkably similar. And you're seeing whatever the societal ill is. Is it poverty? Is it authoritarianism? Is it any sort of type of injustice really being placed and blamed on this group of people? And in some cases, even like as Jews were more integrated into a society, the more vulnerable they came because with a little bit of success, came these green conspiracy dudes. You see with QAnon a lot. You see this, if you start looking for it, you see it pretty frequently. And, you know, I, I think it's important to talk about both sort of the tropes, not just because of the extremism, but also because anti-Semitism really lives and breathes in our daily consciousness. And it's something we need to unlearn. So, it, you know, when you learn about these ideas and why they're anti-Semitic and the violence that has led to historically in many different countries in many different places over hundreds of years, 
the more we can begin to understand them and unlearn them. It's a great article by Amy Cuddy that talks about the psychology of anti-Semitism and how uh, across many different times and spaces you'll see places where you know Jews had lived for many, many years and then suddenly were victims of various that it quickly, within two or three years, fell into very extreme violence and campaigns of violence against communities. So words really matter here and they're worth understanding. One big misnomer though, is that anti-Semitism really only affects Jews. Actually, anti-Semitism has shown to be devastating to democracy. Because think about it, if there's a secret group of people who are controlling all the strings and those people are evil and maybe we should hurt them or stop them, but why would you be invested in voting or engaging in the political process if the Jews have all the power? So it's really deeply corrosive to democratic societies to let anti-Semitism go unchecked. Yeah. Definitely. I love seeing like the, the weave between it all, how it's all connected, I think is really interesting and definitely really important for our listeners to start understanding. And something else that I think is really important for them to also understand is what anti-Jewish bias is. Uh-huh. I know it's a term we definitely, you know, have thrown around a little bit so far, but would you mind explaining like what that is? Sure. I mean, I see that anti-Jewish bias is really married to the anti-Semitism. But so when you look at these tropes about money, about power, about trustworthiness, about, you know, some of them go all the way back to the sort of deicide claims. This is where we really start to see bias against the community. And that bias can turn to violence very quickly. Another thing that's worth noting is that it's also often tied with other extremist ideas. So if you look at the white nationalist movement, they really, you know, they're obviously virulently anti-black and proudly so, frighteningly, but they're also really deeply anti-Semitic and they will use anti-Semitism to sort of animate their grotesque theology and explain away black achievement. So if you talk to white nationalists and say, but if you're superior, that how do you explain the successes of the civil rights movement or any black achievements that are community-wide or individual? And they always use anti-Semitism as the conspiracy theory that then guides their belief in their own superiority, which is, of course, really dangerous, leads to violence, and deeply degrading and hateful to everyone involved. Yeah. And like we talked about now, extremists and extremist groups. Can you also paint the picture of like what that really looks like? We, we've seen the white nationalists and we've seen kind of over the past few years, I feel like a rise of them being more kind of in public mm-hmm. spaces and proud of it. I feel like they kind of come out of hiding in a lot of ways. And can you kind of paint the picture of what those groups really are and how they function? So extremist groups function in a variety of ways. Let's take a step back and talk about like, you know, what are we talking about here? We're talking about beliefs, social, political, these belief systems that exist substantially outside of the mainstream, substantially outside of broadly accepted society, and really counter to truth. We just had a new report come out that is really focused on domestic extremism and violence. So every year, people with ties to a variety of extremist movements kill people in America. Our center on extremism tracks murders. It tracks all sorts of activities, incidences, hate crimes, 
graffiti, things that maybe wouldn't meet the standard of a hate crime, but are still hate-based incidents. But violence is one of the things we're tracking, and these groups are violent. In 2021, domestic extremists killed at least 29 people in the United States in 19 separate incidents. So, you know, 2021 murders were a little lower in part because of COVID, but we are seeing these are mostly committed by right-wing extremists. However, there were two committed by black nationalists and one by an Islamist extremist. But what we're seeing in terms of our notion of security and, you know, there have been two Department of Homeland Security reports over two different administrations really talking about the domestic threat, the people who are already here, the people who really are associated with these extremist movements and the threats they can pose. You know, you could talk about QAnon, you could talk about the incel movement, you could talk about anti-vax extremists white supremacists killed more people in 2021 than any other type of extremist. But really, you know, when we're talking about the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act, or we're talking about Nonprofit Security Act grants, we're really talking about, you know, how do we give communities the tools and give the government its tools to address these new and emerging threats. And in some cases, the threats are not new, like white supremacy isn't new, obviously. But they're organizing and growing and need to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. A continued rise for sure. And I think another term or topic that we have heard a lot in the news as a result of sort of this rise is the term mm-hmm. of neo-Nazi. And I'm so curious, like, what does that mean? Is it different from, like, a Nazi? Like, if someone's like, oh, someone's a Nazi, is that different from a neo-Nazi? What's the, the gist there? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I'll be honest, I'm more of a, my expertise really is in more of the, like, community mobilization than in extremism. But, you know, I think when you get to the core values, it's pretty similar. It's it's what you think it is. It's white supremacy, it's extreme anti-Semitism, usually married with pretty extreme misogyny, and... I think one of the things ADL is really pushing, and that's why we're pushing DTPA, we also have something called the Protect Plan, which really walks through our whole strategy on this. But one bill we're working on right now, DTPA, is really about, like, you know, how do we make sure we're always taking the politics out of it? So we tell people we need to resource according to threat. We need threat assessments that are apolitical and work across agency and are really taken outside of you know, where they can be swayed by the given politics of any administration or any Congress. So they're reporting on the threat by experts across agencies and then saying, okay, we're going to research and spend according to these threats. That's one of the things we really push. But yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's the alt-right, it's white supremacists, and the threat is real. The threat is real, for sure. And kind of bringing it back to, to like anti-Semitism as a whole and diving deeper on on that. And you kind of have mentioned like some of these false narratives surrounding that and what people believe when they are anti-Semitic. Where does this come from? Like, can you kind of also give like a little bit like of a history moment of like where where all these false narratives really come from and like centuries sure. old, right? Yeah. And a, a couple things to add. Um First is, there's anti-Semitism outside of extremist movements, right? Mm -hmm. So there's anti-Semitism across every facet of the political world. You experience anti-Semitism, one really 
of the big disturbing stories of the past decade or so has been like anti-Semitism in progressive spaces, progressive spaces that really failed to live up to their stated values when it came to Jewish inclusion. So in some ways, I think it's easier. I mean, it's not easy, it's hard, and scary, but in some ways it's easier to talk about anti-Semitism only within extremism because it can feel really far away. And we right. should make sure that we also talk about it in terms of like the daily anti-Semitism that just sort of exists as a part of our society and how it needs to be sort of proactively addressed. Because even if it's happening across the political spectrum, whenever it happens, it's strengthening extremist groups as well as hurting individuals. So getting back to your question of where does this come from? A lot of these ideas have been around for a long time, like back to the Middle Ages. Some of them come out of Tsarist Russia. Some of them come out of sort of deeper into European history, if you look at things like deicide accusations, but they've been around for hundreds of years. And what's fascinating is how they grow and change to meet different political moments, right? So you'll see, uh, and to meet different political ideas. So you'll see very similar rhetoric if you listen to Soviet Union propaganda against Jews as you were listening to QAnon attacks against Jews. Really different spaces, really different political agendas, really different people in some ways, but the idea, the conspiracy theory about who Jews are and what we want and how much power we have remains. Also, I will tell you, there's a famous joke that if you have two Jews in a room, you have at least three opinions. So the notion that we are like a secret cabal with a secret agreed upon agenda is as laughable as it is anti-Semitic. It's ridiculous. Wait, I also have a question about what you started that answer off with, with just kind of like the ways anti-Semitism isn't just like extremist, you know, acts. Can you kind of explain some of those of like, yeah, in those progressive spaces are really in everyday life where like anti-Semitism, what it can look like? That sure. like, isn't that extremist version? Sure, so I'll give you an example. Recently in Burlington, and it's happened on a couple of campuses, a student sexual assault group said that they would no longer provide peer support to Zionists because, I mean, we're talking about victims of sexual assault. This has nothing to do with politics in the Middle East, right? Uh, And while you certainly could have policy disagreement, a government disagreement, a, a clear disagreement on foreign policy, it's very clear when over 90% of American Jews identify as pro-Israel or feeling an attachment to Israel or Zionist to specifically say this one very hyper-focused belief can no longer come here for services or peer support. It's pretty, like, the targeting there is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like it's, like, giving an excuse to be like, well, we already yeah. thought this. Here's this reason that we kind of can get out of helping you. Yes, and, you know, why that and why that specific policy and why not just say we have government relations disagreement? Why are we even taking that stance? You don't take policy agreements on any other foreign government's actions. China's actively waging a genocide now and Russia just invaded the Ukraine. So are you going to apply that equally to everyone? 
Mm-hmm. Obviously not. That's not the goal. The goal is to not have the students there. Um, you know, the campus anti-Semitism issue is an ongoing one. Another flashpoint there has been like attempting to kick kosher food off campus, which obviously limits what religious groups can eat, like what religious Jews can eat and where they could eat, and if you know their ability to live on campus. And some of it is, you know, some of the sort of the rhetoric that comes up around bias and some of the silence, right? Like May of last year, you saw a huge surge in violence against Jews in America, and you saw a lot of silence around that. Yeah, totally. I remember that. That was definitely a very interesting time Mm -hmm. to be a Jew. I will definitely say that. And sort of thinking about that time and the, you know, hate crimes committed then, and especially being in the U.S., what was that like globally as well? Like, was there a trickle down effect where it became more of a global trend as well? And if so, like, how was that sort of seen and visualized? Yeah, I will say this. It remains a global trend. The rise in anti-Semitism globally has historically been worse outside of the U.S. So what you're seeing now is some of the safety that people felt they had built here slowly being eroded. So, for example, France and England are two often cited examples where anti-Semitic incidences have risen and risen and risen. But that wasn't really trickling into here as much until suddenly it was. Yeah. And what really is like, when you break it down, like what really is the reason this is increasing as of late? Obviously, like we think about this time we're in, you don't Mm -hmm. assume, you know, hate crimes and anti-Semitism would be on the rise, but it very much is like, why? Like, what's the reason? So yeah. I don't I don't think ADL has put forth a hypothesis on that just because we tend to be a really data focused organization. Uh, I will say that times of global turmoil and massive global change and global instability, generally there's a rise in anti-Semitism. So if you look at Germany after World War One is a great example. You see massive political instability and economic instability and a huge, huge catastrophic rise in anti-Semitism. That's obviously an extreme example, but generally political turmoil, as my grandmother would say, not good for the Jews. That's a Carly Carly Pogues opinion, not an ADL one though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But just like because of that narrative of like Mm -hmm. always the blame being put on Jews, is that yeah, really with, and yeah. narratives about money, power, and control. Right. When people feel out of control. Yeah. And economically unstable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when there's, to be frank, like the need for scapegoats, like authoritarian regimes, whether it's Iran, whether it's, you know, across the USSR, there's tons of examples across time. Like anti-Semitism is a great way to scapegoat tension away from your regime. Mm-hmm. That's why democracy is so important. And I mean, one of many, many reasons <laughs> and why anti-Semitism is corrosive of democracy. Yeah, totally. Not been employed by authoritarians. I have just a clarification question because I just know this is going to be a question that we get already. Mm-hmm. Is does anti-Semitism apply to every denomination of Judaism? Is, or is it more, you know, if you're Orthodox, anti-Semitism just applies to that sect? Is there, uh, you know, sort of a constraint there? Or is it 
when someone says someone is being anti-Semitic, does that apply to all Jews? It applies to all Jews. I mean, first of all, ADL is just not in the business of defining Jewish identity. It's not what we do. Just, it's not. But yes, it applies to all Jews. Now, if you are visibly Jewish or regularly in Jewish institutions, there's a threat level there, right? But, you know, and yes, if you're walking down the street and visibly Jewish, whether that's because you of you know, the faith practices to go into your clothing, or if that's because of other iconography you're wearing, if you're visibly Jewish, yes, you know, you're more likely to be targeted. But that could also apply to, you know, are you regularly going in and out of your JCC because you used the gym there? Or do you send your kids to a Jewish preschool? You know, these incidences really have happened across the Jewish spectrum. And they're not religiously motivated. So when we talk about anti-Semitism as an idea, it's a little bit different than like Judeophobia, right? It's not this idea that like if you converted and you gave up your cultural practice and your religion, we'd accept you. It's different than that. It's different than like what people like the Crusades, right? It's, it is an ethnic hatred that is not escapable. So, you know, there was one case in LA last year of people being attacked in a kosher restaurant you know, it was the fact that they saw them there gathered as Jews, not mm-hmm. the not the actual religious component. Right. Yeah. So can we also get some like action items from you too to kind of like start to wrap up this conversation and for people who really want to like take mm-hmm. action to combat hate, are there pieces of legislation? Can they call their reps? Like what are some good action items people can well, do? Well, the number <laughs> one thing you can do right now is call your senator and ask them to support support the confirmation of Deborah Lipstadt. You can text Envoy to 52886 and you'll get a handy little script. If for some reason you don't want to do that, it's read on our website. But call your senator today and tell them to support a swift confirmation of Professor Deborah Lipstadt. I love that. We love a good call your reps moment. <laughs> Senators though, because this one only goes to the Senate. Yeah. Noted. And I know okay. we're endlessly confusing and bureaucratic in Washington. <laughs> oh, oh, of course. That's the what layers. we're here for. The layers. <laughs> Trying to break it all down. But we also want to talk about some initiatives. You know that you guys run some programs and anti-bias trainings out there. What are those? How can people get involved uh, in that end of things as well? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple different things that ADL does. We do trainings for law enforcement. We're the number one trainer on anti-bias and law enforcement in America. So... Now someone's going to tell me there's some other group. I'm pretty sure we're number one, if not we're one of the biggest trainers of law enforcement on anti-bias issues. So if you are in law enforcement, we can come to you for a training. We have school trainings. We create whole school for uh, curriculums. And yeah, we have a huge anti-bias wing. That's nice. amazing. Especially for schools. Is there like a way, like if we have, I know we have like a lot of teachers that listen is there a way that they can get you guys in there? Is this like they talk to their administrators? Is there anything that you advise them doing? Absolutely. We have a whole resource section for teachers. We love working with teachers. We have a huge education department. Try adl.org backslash education to get started. There's things on Black History Month. There's things on education training and programming, anti-bias tools and strategies. 
definitely check out our website, check out our education programming. Our education team would love to talk to you. Okay, and then one other thing is the heat map. And you guys also have a breakdown of hate symbols. Where can people find all of that jazz and how does that sort of help them figure out what's going on in this situation? Yep, so the heat map exists right on our website. You can find it under research and tools. You can also find anti-Semitism uncovered there, a guide to old myths in a new era. But you can find those trackers of incidents, the heat map, all of that. And it really helps you to understand, you know, what's happening in your area, what's happening in your town, and also to report. You know, one of the things we encourage people to do is report, report, report. Even, you know, I had someone say to me recently, I don't want to press charges. I said, well, report anyway. Because when we have the data, the data, yeah. the, the data allows us to push policy. That's important, so I'm going to say it again. Data drives policy. When you go to a member of Congress office and say, do you know there were 30 incidents of anti-Semitism in your city last year? They're always surprised. I mean, unless they're yeah. particularly keyed in with the Jewish community, they're like, what do you mean? What happened? I want to know about that. What can we do about that? Were my constituents involved? You know, when people go in and they have that knowledge, and, and you know, when you look at the heat map, it is in some ways very disturbing. Like it's, you could see all of these things and it's right there for you, but it's an incredible tool to talk to policy makers. You know, we're talking about between 2020 and 2021, over 12,347 incidents of extremism or anti-Semitism in the United States. So one of the things we really encourage people to do is Get to know the heat map and report, report incidents. And if you are the victim of an incident or a hate crime, you can call your local EDL region. They can help okay. you. They can help you with incident response. They can help you figure out, you know, when you want to involve law enforcement. If you don't want to involve law enforcement, but you still want someone to know what happened, they have a wide variety of ways that they can respond to you. Okay. Yeah, I love that point, too, of like to report things really across the board like even if it's crime in your neighborhood or whatever it is like that data is so important mm -hmm. um to make change and I, I think that is a really important message to drive home but so for also just like individuals and looking internally and everything like self-reflection moment are there any tips that you have and can give people to just kind of like reduce their own bias or just to become more aware of this in in their daily lives as well a couple things like first of all if someone points out to you that you've engaged in bias it's really easy to like be like, no, I didn't have Get a defensive. good person. I'm yeah. not, I'm not a neo-Nazi, so I must be a nice guy who never engages in bias. Like, don't mm -hmm. be bad. It's very destructive. <laughs> what I recommend instead doing is like, first, take a deep breath, and then say thank you. You know, when someone points out to you that you've engaged in bias, they're giving you the opportunity to grow, to learn, to change, to and to divest yourself of the system of oppression that is hurting people. So it's an enormous opportunity. So when someone says to me like, hey, Kylie, I think what you just did there was in stereotype bias, I take a deep breath and I say, hey, thank you so much. You know, I, I care about fighting hate. I care about people. And it's really, I really appreciate you letting me know. And you'd be surprised. Yeah. People are not used to that response. It's really, I think, a good thing for everyone involved. And, you know, take time to listen to people, read about communities, read about other communities, communities you're not invested in. I love, you know, newspapers and journalists and op-eds that really are focused on communities I'm not a part of. 
and reading those and getting a sense of what's happening in communities. And definitely just, you know, we are all part of these bigger systems of oppression, right? We're in an oppressive world, we're in a hateful world, in a bigoted world. And the more you can take time to sort of accept that and then sort of consciously unlearn it, the better. And not to take that sort of personally. I heard a great speech from Duray McKesson once we said, if you're surrounded by pollution, if you're surrounded by smog, you're going to breathe it in. It's going to be in your lungs. It's going to be in your blood. The best yeah. thing you can do is try not to breathe it back out. Mm. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And I like love that also too, just for anyone listening, that is like a little script. Like think about it because I think often when you, you know, someone points out like you shared something that clearly has like bias in it you need to do more research to be able to learn more about it. So responding with anything or acting like you know anything doesn't really help anything. That's your moment to be like, hey, good point. Let me circle back to you later. And one of the things our CEO, JG, said, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, sorry, we called him that for short sometimes. <laughs> our CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, said the other day, they really stuck with me, was uh, at ADL, we don't believe in cancel culture, we believe in council culture. We believe in learning, we believe in educating, we believe in calling people in and giving people a path away from hateful behavior, whether that's in terms of education, anti-bias or advocacy. I love that. That needs to be, everyone needs to think that way. Definitely keep pushing that message out because that's so important. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anywhere else that people can find you guys? Is there social media people can follow? Yes. First of all, definitely check out ADL.org and definitely check out our Twitter. You know, it's at ADL and check out Jonathan Greenblatt, our CEO's Twitter. It's a great place for learning and engaging. And most of our local regions have Twitter. Check those out too. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank this you. Thank so you. enlightening and I hope everyone learned so much. Thanks. Here we are, top stories of the week. Kicking it off is, unfortunately, some more in Trump news because this man will, like, maybe never leave our lives, unfortunately. I hope so. But at this point, not looking like it. Because Trump is actually being accused of breaking campaign laws because he's been teasing this 2024 presidential run. So, basically, former President Donald Trump continues to tease a future White House bid. A pro-democratic super PAC has accused him of violating federal campaign laws by raising and spending money for a run without officially filing his candidacy, which (laughs) is against campaign finance laws. So in its uh, complaint filed Monday with the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, American Bridge accused Trump of illegally using his multi-candidate leadership PAC to raise and spend funds in ex- in excess of commission limits for the purpose of advancing a 2024 presidential campaign. The super PAC says that includes payments for events at Trump properties, rallies for or featuring Mr. Trump, consulting payments to former Trump campaign staff, and digital advertising about Mr. Trump's events and his presumptive 2024 opponent. Alleging that Trump has already privately decided to mount a 2024 campaign, American Bridge says he was then obligated to file a candidacy intent statement with 15 days of receiving contributions or making any expenditure over $5,000. And to that point, this quote just gives me life because we know I love a little play on words, little, you know, fiesta for the mouth, whatever. And this one does it for me. 
Trump has played footsie. I have not heard the term footsie in like 20 years. So I was eight. Anyways, wait, that's weird. <laughs> wait a second. Is that right? <laughs> no, I remember like teachers used to be like, say that playing footsie was like flirtatious and scandalous. If you ever wait, did that with a boy. that's so funny. I wonder but. who I've like played footsie with over the years. I feel like I, I think played, that like, was definitely my move. Like kicking like in battles, elementary school, middle school. I'd be a little footsie, footsie girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyways, if you're out and you just get some like little light foot taps from Maddie, she's flirting with Sam, you. Sam, should that be my move now at the bar? Is playing footsie? We were talking about this all weekend, like how teaching yes. how to approach men at bars, and maybe this is it. Maybe I play footsie somehow. I'll think about it. I'll think about how to implement that. Wait, before we go on, we have to tell the rest of, like, the suggestion. The number one suggestion. What we did do was, Samantha, her suggestion at a bar, she said, go up and, like, ask them what they're drinking or, like, (laughs) do some type of activity. And I was like, activity? Like, in a bar? Like, what else? What do you do? What's an activity? And me and my friend, Mac, we go, should we play slide? Like, like a handshake? Like, immediate reaction. (laughs) Like, there was no, like stop there's no break it was just slide we're playing slide and, and then i was immediately like, started practicing and i think we did do it that night but we were like off in a corner and probably people probably thought we were fully psychotic but yeah um i'm gonna actually start working on that maybe i'll do footsie and then keep trying it with slide and see what happens but i mean i think the real one would be like if you did it at the same time like you're playing slide but then like you're doing it next or to a like guy so you're like kind of like do 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 Oh, like, do you know to how to play slide? slide? Yeah. Oh, wait. Okay, okay. Now we're... <laughs> All right, bet you can't be something. in slide. I need to start really practicing. It's like the adult playground. Yeah, with footsie, with slide. Okay, we like it. We're bringing the sandbox to the bar. We'll be reporting on this next week on how this went. So everyone stay tuned. Stay yeah. tuned. Well, wh- yep. Trump has been playing footsie, so... Oh. Let's okay, so talk anyways, about this quote. Yeah, so he's not someone I'd ever want to play footsie with. Like, oh absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even play slide with that man. And he has tiny hands, so he probably would lose. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, you'd be like, okay, anyways, from playing footsie. Yeah, so <laughs> with the Federal Election Campaign Act for months, the group said Monday, noting that the former president, through his Save America PAC, has spent more than a hundred K per week on Facebook ads and has Wild. consistently raised more than one million dollars per week. A clear Wild. violation of campaign finance law and precedent established by the FEC. Which are you the amount of money that he fundraises, I gotta say, is I'm impressed. Like <laughs> Teach me your ways. Truly, truly. Like I just yeah, I do think it's interesting the emphasis on Facebook ads, just like as mm. a little side note, because it's is at this point like a slightly older demographic, which I definitely think gets his attention. Yeah, all my conservative uncles are on Facebook, so that that seems very on brand. Right? It's like they're having a fun they're having a fun Facebook moment. But anyway, since then he has alluded to his plans in nearly every appearance. Oh my god, appearance. Can I even <laughs> say that word? An interview telling conservative hosts and Trump friendly audience is uh wow, that he is waiting to make an announcement until after the midterms because it would trigger campaign finance laws. Like meanwhile, here we are. Okay. So, Trumpy boy said the following. 
I know what I'm gonna do. Why is that my why is that my <laughs> accent of him? Not sure. I know what I'm going to do, but we're not supposed to be talking about it yet. From the standpoint of campaign finance laws, as if this guy knows anything about what okay. Which frankly are ridiculous, okay? Trump said during a September visit with first responders when asked if he would run again. Which frankly are ridiculous. It's like they're ridiculous because like you just don't like them. Like Well, he doesn't like any laws. No. Like any. Like the only laws he like are things are laws that restrict things that don't benefit him personally. That. Yeah. What else? Like any like human rights of any sort. Human rights. Immigration, immigrant rights. Voting rights. Oh, he loves those laws. Yeah. He loves, he loves just be like... immigration laws. Yeah. So, you know. Anyways. any Anything that restricts him and his power grabs, God forbid. He's like, all why, over it. Like, the restriction, like, for him should be, like, less tanning, you know? <clears throat> and I'm... I really, I'm so, so curious I, what his tanning routine is. Like, do we think he's in beds? Do we think he's spray tanning? Do we think he has mousse? Like, do we, definitely tan, drops, tan tan lux drops? Like, what? What's he working well, with? I'm so I was this point on TikTok like a little while back, and so one of her awesome followers was like making some hilarious comments of like people she would rather or things she would rather have be president than Trump, and mm-hmm. one of them was like literally like a rotting like jack o' lantern. Yes, and I was I like, that. oh, my God. Well, like, honestly, they're kind of like the same color. No, they're, like, they're literally the same. If I were to put any comparison of what is Trump, like a rotting jack-o'-lantern. He's he wrinkly is. and orange and scary looking. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's just I hate making fact. fun of people's appearance. It makes me sad. But at the same time, like, I don't care. I hate you, Trump. He's an exception to the rule. You know, it's just an exception. And I still really want, like, is he going for their organic stuff is he going full chemical wash is it seeping into his brain mm. i mean i think def- definitely chemicals he's not like a clean products type guy you know that's he's true. not in the clean product section of sephora absolutely not but anyway <sighs> so we'll go move on to this next story which is congress voting to renew a landmark domestic violence law so congress has renewed a 1990s era law that extends protections to victims of domestic and sexual violence Updating the landmark of Violence Against Women Act nearly three years after partisan disagreements caused it to collapse. And it passed this week as part of a $1.5 trillion government funding package and capped years of work by members of the House and the Senate. And it is certain to win the signature of President Biden. And he actually worked on this law during his days back back in the old days in the Senate when <laughs> when Joe was taking the Amtrak to D.C. But passing the legislation brought a rare moment of bipartisan agreement, bipartisan bell, ding, ding, in Congress and achieved partly on the strength of the personal connections that lawmakers have to domestic violence and its devastating effects. The new version of the law will strengthen rape prevention and education efforts, as well as training for those in law enforcement and the judicial system. Biden introduced the original Violence Against Women Act in June 1990 when serving as chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Subsequent version was eventually included in a sweeping crime bill that then-President Bill Clinton would sign into law four years later. Congress has reauthorized the Violence Against Women Act three times since. The fact, by the way, side, the fact that this could ever lapse, the fact that there could ever be like an end date for this is like vile to me. Side note. The original bill created the Office on Violence Against Women within the Justice Department, which has awarded more than $9 billion in grants to state and local governments, nonprofits, and universities over the years. 
The grants fund crisis intervention programs, transitional housing, and legal assistance to victims, amongst other programs. Supporters say that the reauthorization would also boost spending for training law enforcement and the courts, which is, of course, very, very important to keeping people safe, specifically women. Women. <laughs> nice. Jinx. Yeah, we love a bipartisan bell moment. And again, like a lot of these things, it's so crazy that you know these things are just not being passed at a lot it was the one last week that was like so wild well i think where our next story we'll do is awesome honestly like show us like we can take 10 steps forward and then we can take 10 steps back at the same exact totally. time and like it's just interesting that like also too like violence against women act was originally passed right in 1990 like there were steps taken and then like oh. again so many yo-yos thing I was oh. trying to think of what we talked about last week where it was like also so long ago oh, that yeah. like now just got passed in the law, the Emmett Till anti-lynching act. So again, another crazy moment. It's like, like why not, why not 50 years ago? Curious, but nevertheless, speaking of like 10 steps backward, like Samantha alluded to, it's that in Idaho, lawmakers are sending a Texas styled abortion bill to the governor. Ooh, scary. So legislation, this legislation is aimed at banning abortions in Idaho after six weeks of pregnancy by allowing potential family members to sue a doctor who performs one to the governor on Monday. And the House voted 51 to 14 with no Democratic support to approve the legislation modeled after the very restrictive Texas um, abortion law that the U.S. Supreme Court has allowed to remain in place until a court challenge is decided on its merits. So, scary. Um, this is scary. And just to throw, like, another one in, and I'm going to mess the pronunciation up on this. So, everyone, so sorry. Missouri has also introduced a bill to outlaw abortion and ectopic pregnancy, which, like, basically you either not to be really heinous you either die or you go to jail like yeah like actually what the fuck and these happen all the time like i definitely know some people where it's like they've had iud's they have this is something that can happen with an iud i'm not saying don't get one i'm not a medical professional but this is something that can happen elsewise as well but what the hell this yeah it's absolutely bonkers so republican rep Stephen Harris is the bill's sponsor in Idaho, and he said this bill makes sure that the people of Idaho can stand up for our values and do everything in our power to prevent the wanton destruction of innocent human life. Ugh. And it, oh my god, it's literally like it makes me so angry. A thousand percent. Where where do we draw the line of when you stop prioritizing life? Because there's a lot of Republican policies and stances that outside of this abortion argument does not prioritize life so true anyways but this idaho governor he's already signed an abortion law into place so not very hopeful that this is going to be vetoed by any means and that law that he already signed into place would be triggered if the u.s supreme court does overturn roe v wade in the court which obviously if you've been checking the news out it's not looking good as far as the future of roe v wade at the supreme court level so again, if this is triggered, the Idaho law passed in 2020 would ban all abortions except in cases of rape, um, incest, or to protect the life of the mother. And that law would take effect in Idaho 30 days after a potential Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. So 
that's what that's looking like if you're in Idaho and you're like, holy shit, I'm scared. If you have questions or want some action items, again, back to this conversation of Roe v. Wade being overturned, it comes back to the states and this Texas law, the Idaho law, Missouri law, it's all evidence of electing state reps that represent you and your values are so important because so many of these crucial decisions come down to the state. So that's also an important lesson to take into this midterm election. So make sure you're paying attention to state reps, state senate, all the things, and voting in people who genuinely represent you and your and your fellow Idaho folk or whoever, wherever, whatever state you're in. Any state, all the states, the vibe. Okay. Well, to another story, another glorious story. So today is Equal Pay Day. Side note, we will also be having a larger episode on this later in May. There's so many avenues that we need to explore with this. Like, obviously, send us your cues. We will go into depth the full nine yards. But in the meantime, a little bit of news on this front. And that is that Biden is moving to narrow the gender pay gap for federal workers. The fact that it still exists for federal workers, I just... I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But anyways, the White House is marking equal pay day by taking new steps aimed at ending the gender pay gap for federal workers and contractors. Joe Biden on Tuesday is signing executive order, aka today, that encourages the government to consider, to consider, banning federal contractors from seeking information about job applicants' prior salary history. And a new Labor Department directive is aimed at strengthening federal contractor obligations to audit payrolls, help guard against pay disparities based on gender, race, or ethnicity. So... Nonetheless, among other issues, the Biden administration wants to combat occupational segregation to get women better access to well-paying jobs, which tend to be male-dominated, according to a senior administration official, previewed the administration's efforts on Monday, speaking on the condition of, I can't say this word, anonymity, that. I don't know. Wait, what was the word you said at the event that was like, you pronounced it so bad? What was it? No, I'm not saying I'm we taking know, that one to the grave. And can every, you just tell me? I, I forget. Everyone else, everyone signed a mental NDA. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of just this equal pay conversation this year, the administration is looking for new ways to combat pay disparities and drawing attention to high profile efforts to combat the wage gap such as the recent U.S. Women's National Team $25 million February settlement with the U.S. soccer and a discrimination dispute. So the settlement includes a commitment to equalize pay and bonus ma- bonuses to match the men's team, which is just like always this whole situation so crazy because the women's team is like 5,000 times better than the men's team and the men are making so much more money than them. But they did get that W, so hopefully this trend can continue and we can continue to see equal pay pushed to the forefront. It's, again, yesterday was the time, but hey. (laughs) Hey. And then final story is Zelensky, who is Ukrainian's president, is expected to deliver a virtual address to the U.S. Congress this week. Um, part of a series of high-profile speeches from the leader working to rally support as the Russian invasion of his country intensifies. And Zelensky will speak Wednesday to members of the House, an event that will be live-streamed for the public. And it follows an address he delivered last week to the UK Parliament. I wonder if they were wearing wigs. <laughs> Operation make the US Congress wear wigs. I don't know. <laughs> We're making yeah, guys, it actually, so part of the 
it's a part of Idea Factory for potential future merch. So let us know if you're interested. Like literally, it's like girl on the gov changes entire mission. We're no longer trying to get y'all engaged. We're just trying to get Congress to wear wigs. New mission. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, so Zelensky delivered that speech to the UK Parliament last week. They say it echoes Winston Churchill's stirring words during World War II. And then on Tuesday, Zelensky is scheduled to deliver a speech to Canada's Parliament. So he's really on a world tour and trying to garner that support. But earlier this month, Zelensky spoke by video with House and Senate lawmakers delivering a desperate plea for more military aid. And the Ukrainian president has specifically saw air support to battle the Russians, including the transfer of Soviet-era MIGs from Poland. But the Pentagon has closed the door on that idea for now, worried it could escalate U.S. involvement. So I said on that, Schumer did say Monday that it's among the highest honors of any Congress to welcome foreign heads of state, but it is nearly unheard of in modern modern times that we hear from a leader fighting for his life, fighting for his country's survival, and fighting to preserve the very idea of democracy. So definitely going to be tuning into that. Make sure all of you do as well. I think it'll be a very important moment. So check it out. But check, check it out. Those mm-hmm. are our top stories, and that is our episode. So go get your four bottles of wine for twenty nine ninety five. The wink is in our episode description. They are absolutely delicious. Their branding is adorable, and it comes right to your door. What more could you want? They got reds, they got whites, they got rosés. So they got sparkling. It's just, it's all there for you. Sign up for our brand ambassador program. Let us know if you want an internship for the summer or the fall and you can get college credit. All of that can be found on girlinthegov.com. But that is it for this week. Subscribe, follow on Spotify, review on Spotify now, by the way. You shoot us five stars and you're listening on Spotify right now. It's super easy. Just go, it's only two clicks. Five stars. Let us know. And follow us on social media. Samantha, any closing notes for your fans? I'm hungry and I don't know what to eat. So if anyone would like to let me know what snack I should have, please do. You me. closed two consecutive episodes with talking about how hungry you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly really hungry too. So it's not we'll my re- fault. Well, also, okay, I hold on. First of all, we know my You guys cook. don't leave. She has don't a leave. closing statement. <laughs> I'm on my podium. It's fine. I bought two pans and a pot. And you did? I did. I'm Sam. I'm so I proud honestly of you. like was like they kind of like first I was like, well, if I don't use them, they could be a security mechanism. Sure. Right? I was like, this I see I see a double use for this. But regardless. Do you like mac I, and cheese? I did, but okay, so this is this is the womp womp womp. My Two little burners that I'm given for this BS of an apartment. <laughs> Literally. That. <laughs> the apartment <laughs> convo. Oh my God, I will throw these hands. But anyways, these two burners like barely work. It literally took me to make a quesadilla and it still was not even like a melted quesadilla like over an hour. Really? Yeah. Samantha, like, add that to the fucking list. That why you guys just for a little context... Her landlord's raising her rent 40%. 45. 45. <laughs> 45%. You guys, that's absolutely criminal. And Samantha doesn't even have a working stove. She doesn't even have a full fucking fridge in her apartment. It's a <laughs> mini fridge, okay? Like, justice for Samantha. And we need to come for your landlord immediately. 
But I'm proud of you for getting pots and pans. Thank you. I will let both of us hang up hang up now so we can go eat. And I hope all of you have an amazing week and learn so much today. And we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.